Hello there and welcome to the Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. I'm your host, Vidas Pinkavichus. Today's guest is Frank Mento, American-born organist and harpsichordist, but currently working and living in, in Paris. He is the Professor Emeritus of Harpsichord at the Conservatory of the 18th Precinct in Paris and Organist Emeritus at saint jean de montmartre Church, also in Paris. And uh, he has recently um, published uh, the eighth volume of his Harpsichord method uh, out of projected ten volumes. And uh, his treatise um, is especially... Uh, well suited for organists because organ and harpsichord are very very closely related they're like cousins and in this conversation Frank uh, teaches us how organists can really benefit from playing harpsichords harpsichord works and harpsichord uh, exercises and we will talk about the various skills that also are applicable to the organ from harpsichord like touch articulation fingering ornamentation diminutions and even transposition so enjoy this conversation and let's go to the show so frank i'm so happy that we're doing this conversation i'm very excited thank you so much for for your generous generosity of sharing your insights and uh, experience with us you're welcome, Um, You know, um, I usually start these conversations uh, with people around the world uh, from yes. organ, organ um, experts and musicologists and organ build builders and organists uh, uh, asking this question, uh, yeah. very simple question. How did uh, you uh, became interested in, in organ and harpsichord, right? Uh, because you are uh, expert in harpsichord as well as in organ. So what came first, organ or harpsichord for you? The organ, the organ came first. You start, like with many people, a long time ago, I started with the piano. Uh -huh. I was eight years old. And uh, I used to see movies back in the 1950s where they showed where, where pipe organs were used for the soundtrack, where you even see them. My mother used to take me to churches where there were nice pipe organs. And I was so interested in that. I was, I was eager to, to learn how to play these instruments. And it's after watching or seeing movies like The Sound of Music or, or El Cid you know, with Charlton Heston, there were organs used in the soundtrack. And I was interested in that. And so I started taking my piano teacher, who was a neighborhood piano teacher, uh, had me start taking pipe organ lessons because she was an organist in her church. And that was my first contact with an old pipe organ, an old two-manual pipe organ. It was the first time, and it was... At the first, my first contact when she played full organ on the tutti, it was so loud I I, I plugged my ears. Uh huh. Because I never. And she says, "It's not dangerous. Pipe organs won't hurt your ears. It's electronic organs that will hurt your ears when they play loudly, not pipe organs." Yeah. So I, I gradually became used to the sound. So she started me, and afterwards, uh, I became more and more advanced, and I began began taking studying organs seriously when I was 16 years old with the organist at the cathedral uh, in Youngstown, Ohio, in the United States, St. Columba Cathedral. And that's where I first got to play a three-manual instrument. It was a cassava, a cassava, a cassava organ. 
<clears throat> afterwards, I went to the uh, conservatory in Youngstown, which is part of, uh, the, of the Youngstown State University. It's called the Danish School of Music. And I received <clears throat> my first uh, degree there, a Bachelor of Music. Then I went to further uh, to graduate study with a Master of Music degree at the College Conservatory of Music at the University of Cincinnati in Cincinnati, Ohio, also in the United States. Mm-hmm. But that's, the harpsichord came much later. I started harpsichord when I was about 25 years old because I was working on my doctorate at the Conservatory of Cincinnati. And uh, I had already studied uh, basso continuo with the harpsichord teacher there, Eiji Hashimoto, who had been a student of uh, Ralph Kirkpatrick uh-huh. at Yale. And so after having studied uh, uh, basso continuo with him, I wanted to have a harpsichord minor. So I minored in harpsichord just before going to France. I came to France because I wanted to do, we had to uh, do research for our doctoral uh, dissertation, our doctoral thesis. And so I wanted to come to France and I, I had forgotten the harpsichord. And by, it was, it was, uh, I don't know if you can call it a, 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 a twist of fate or what, I, I started accompanying chorales uh, and I had to play the continuum part. And the uh, director, the conductor suggested I study harpsichord again, because I wasn't strong enough with figured bass playing or anything. So I started with, uh, he pre- he introduced me to Huguette Dreyfus, uh-huh. who was one of the finest teachers at that time, who had, who had uh, uh, taught many of the young, the leading young French harpsichordists today. So uh, I studied with her, and uh, that was a revelation because I can uh, I have to say honestly, she's the best teacher I ever had. It's a pity that I didn't get to know her earlier when I started. If I had for organ or something like that, I would have changed my whole outlook on music, on how to prepare a piece and how to analyze a piece and uh, looking for phrasing, articulation, everything. I'd never had a teacher so so good as she. Right. So that's why I came to the harpsichord. Wonderful, wonderful story, Frank. I am fascinated how how you you know started uh, like many organists like uh, this f- f- long time f- in childhood many years yes. ago, right? In the in the yes. basement, you, you saw the pipes in bellows, probably, right? Yes, uh, that's correct. And especially the mechanical action organs, right? Yes, uh, right. I got to. A mechanical actions. I never knew what a mechanical action organ was before going to the to the conservatory of uh, Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe once I had a small concert with a small positif, but I never played a, a, a mechanical action organ. And the first time I played it, I says, "Wow, it's fun." It is fun, yeah. It, 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 and and so I, I and that's that's the only kind of organ I prefer: the mechanical action instruments, because mm-hmm. you have the direct control, as you know, of of the, of the touch. Yes, yes. And uh, Frank, uh, um, uh, do you think that uh, harpsichord and organ are very closely related or yes, they or are they are yes, sort they are. of cousins or they are very they are cousins but they are very closely re- related because uh, 300 years ago uh, I think you can name all of the composers they all were harpsichordists and organists at the, t- the same time. Bach, Johann Sebastian Bach, you have Handel, you have uh, François Couperin, Louis Couperin, the list is endless. They all, uh, Rameau, uh, Rameau says in his, in his, in his uh, preface to his harpsichord pieces, what I've, what I've said mentioning the harpsichord is equally applied to the organ. But we haven't found any trace of his organ works. Either they were lost, yeah. they were 
discipline or destroyed it with wars and with revolutions or whatever or he just simply improvised improvised yeah he was a fabulous improviser as far as yes, i he know was, as with many of those those composers at that period yeah so so you, 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 we are probably correct in saying that harpsichord should be in uh, should should be of interest to organists of today yes. as well right I think yes yes there are some there's so many similarities uh-huh what can organists gain from practicing uh, harpsichord playing with well, a, a very sensitive instrument and even more so uh, uh there is of course the harpsichord but uh it uh, bach Uh, suggested that uh, students start with the clavichord first, which yeah. is much more sensitive. Sensitive, but the harpsichord was very often used. How many pieces are written for organ or harpsichord? It's often interchangeable uh, in the 16th, 17th centuries. Uh, Svading, all of that is either for the harpsichord or the organ. It's the character of the piece that determines whether it sounds should convey, convey which is better, which might be better for the organ or the or the harpsichord. Yeah, and uh, w which in instrument do you feel uh, is is, well, is it a better? Is it could either it was, it was primarily for organ, for house organ, or for or the or the harpsichord. Yeah, uh, pardon me. Hello? I, I was uh, how do you, uh, I was saying that uh, which instrument harpsichord on organ uh, can provide a better workout for fingers, for example. I think the opinion. harpsichord. Because it's a very sensitive touch, mm -hmm. and if you have a possibility of of having uh, of having access to a clavichord, that's even better. But, yeah, uh, not many. That all depends on the countries. If if the, if you have a harp a clavichord available, that's fine. Yeah. Then once they then you get to the harpsichord and to the organ. What I do is I when I play on the harpsichord, I transfer I transfer it to the organ. It's essentially the same type of touch. The, the only difference being that the harpsichord is a stringed instrument and the organ being a wind instrument. True, true. So uh, do you play also the clavichord as well? Very, very little. I don't have a, a clavichord and I don't have easy, easy access to a clavichord. Uh -huh. So I yeah. just regularly harpsichord and organ. You know, I love uh, clavichord uh, ability to, to make vibratos, right? Uh, what the Germans yes. say, uh, call bebung and you that's can, correct you that's can correct. you can uh, make this even more sensitive right uh, that's crescendos correct. diminuendos basically yes right yes. and yes. as you say it's all transferable to the organ especially me mechanical is, yes. mechanical action. yes that's correct and and the fingering is the same yeah uh, what the, uh, it's exactly the same fingering see mm -hmm. you look at the early the the early fingerings it's the same fingerings Uh, and there is uh, another um, um, aspect of harpsichord playing that you briefly touched, and in your experience, it was very profound. Uh, continuo playing, right? Continuo, yes. figured yes. bass or basso continuo, uh, yes. uh, thorough bass, as they call sometimes. Yes, correct. Um, <laughs> uh, and yes. Uh, organists probably of even 21st century should become acquainted uh, of this uh, early technique, uh, early performance practice, isn't it? This is very important. Every keyboardist should know uh, basso continuo mm -hmm. because it helps you improvise. It's, it's an easy way of analyzing a piece. You don't have to think of all of the secondary dominance and all of the borrowings and all the modulations. You read the bass, see? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is an outline, which is a shorthand. And that helps you improvise. And of course, it's indispensable if you want to play the, the basso continuo parts as they were played from sight, you know, without, without having any uh, edited version. 
Yeah, See? yeah. It's... And it's good for the ear, it's good for the brain, it's good for your fingers, and it, as I said, it helps your improvisation. Do you do do? Did you have uh, experiences as the continuer player uh, where where you performed, for example, uh, from unfamiliar scores? And was it easy for you or not in the beginning, especially? At the beginning, it was a little difficult, but with practice it comes because we start with easy exercises, mm -hmm. easy easy chord progressions, and uh, you develop the the, the 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 you get used to doing the to doing this at sight. Yeah. And there are certain formulas that you can use, and uh, this and this becomes a part of you. Yeah, you and you, and when you when you sort of uh, internalize those figures and uh, those Correct. chords That's and progressions, you can even apply those in your improvisations, right? Of course, of yeah. course, because it's a harmonic skeleton. You know, it, it's a schema. It's an outline. See? Yeah, it's and like uh, it's like a, it it's like. A, uh, the uh, short form of harmony, right? Uh, before they That's had the harmony rules, right. they had uh, probably continual rules, right? First. That's correct. As, as you read, as you look at a figured bass line, uh, it's, it's an easy form of harmony. You don't have all the modulations indicated. You have all the accidentals indicated. But you get used to that. All you have to know is know the key signature and to know what harp, what, uh, and you look at everything is calculated from the bass and the harmonic context of the soloist, you see? Mm -hmm. And everything is determined in in terms of that. Wonderful, See? wonderful. So uh, I imagine that uh, some people are experienced with continual playing. Some people are not. Who are listening to this conversation? Um, uh, I think. Uh, um, can you can you provide a little bit of guidance how to start uh, these continual exercises for the beginner? Well, we start with first of all. I start with uh, intervals. Mm -hmm. uh, you put the up uh, from the bass line. You use your right, the left hand plays the bass line. The right hand plays an interval up of the bass. For example, a third. It may be a simple or compound interval. The, the The trick is that the right hand must move as least as possible. Once this is mastered, uh, that you can build a a, 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 a counter a, a counter melody with that. We get into into perfect into uh, into triads. Okay, where the left hand plays the the bass and the right hand doubles the root mm -hmm. and plays the three the three voices in the right hand. See, that's the 18th century continual practice, and uh, you learn how to play uh, the uh, what do you call them uh, triads in root position, common chords in yeah. root position. Then afterwards, you get into the sixth chords, which you call first inversions. The six above the bass, you have the root, you have the note in the bass, and the sixth. That means it's a chord of the sixth. And yeah. gradually get into the six four chords, and you gradually go into the simple suspensions, like the four three suspension, the seven six suspension, nine eight, which is all very easy. There are several. There are a few tricks to do that, by 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 finding that quickly. Yeah, there are a few tricks. Uh, do you think that transposition also um, plays a big role here? Transposition. This is very good. Transposition is very important for an organist. Especially for an organist, a harpsichord too. If you have to transpose things for vocalists and things like that, but it's good for the brain and it helps you and you, it makes you at ease on the keyboard, no matter what the piece you're playing, no matter what period style period you're playing. And one of my teachers says that to transpose the piece a half tone up, a half tone down. What I would say to transpose it in all the keys. Yeah. 
if possible. It's very good for you, and it makes you at ease. If you're, if you're playing in church where you have to, to transpose, uh, uh, or if you're accompanying a vocalist where you have to transpose a third up or a third down. Yeah. See? Yeah. You be, yes, you should, be, you should strive to be completely at ease with this type of, this type of uh, trans, transposition technique. Uh, while we are talking about transposition, what do you think about the uh, transposition button on the digital organs, for example? I don't. It's 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 a crutch. Yeah. You know, it, it's uh, uh, you you shouldn't be, you should strive not to use it. Uh, many people don't know how to transpose, so it's better to have the button than not to have it. But if you're on a on a stand on an acoustical piano, or if you're on a pipe organ that doesn't have a transposition button, what are you going to do? So you best try to learn how to transpose. It takes time, but the younger you start, the easier it is. Uh -huh. I say, what I say is start using a, a, a traditional tune, a, a, take a traditional uh, Lithuanian tune or whatever country you're from, and transpose it in all keys by going up a half step. You start in C major, then go C sharp major, on through D, D sharp major, or, or E flat major, E major, F major, uh, and to get all 12 tonalities or 15 tonalities, if you wish. Uh huh, uh huh. And so uh, black and, and white keys of the first octave, and you have all the tonalities. And you, you probably suggest not playing the harmony f right away, right? Only the, no, the just, melody. Just play, play the melody, take a simple line. Yeah. For example, or, uh, what is the three blind mice or whatever, in any, any traditional tune that you may know, is something very easy. Play with both hands at the octave, just the melody, and go up a half tone each time. Mm -hmm. Then gradually, when you feel a bit more secure, play some uh, uh, play some chords and transpose them by half tone also. Some chord progressions. Yeah. Then afterwards, try to, to to transpose some chorales, some four voice chorales, and then gradually uh, get get into things more difficult. The, the 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 goal should be to be able to transpose anything you play. Yeah. Even the hard even the hardest material, whether it's Vidor, whether it's Vienne, whether it's uh, whatever it is, César Falk, yeah. Bach, you should be able to do that because these the Brahms they knew they all knew how to transpose as, as easily as they breathed. See, and yeah, it's a very good because I learned this when I was studying piano accompaniment uh, for accompanying uh, opera singers. Opera singers today who work in opera houses, they transpose as though they breathe. Or, or let's say variety show musicians, they have to transpose for a singer who has a cold. He says, "Please, I, I have a cold. Please, could you please take it down a second? Or and so they all the instrumentalists have to transpose at in two seconds. See? Yeah, yeah. And so this is it's it's good for the brain and it it makes you at ease with everything. Wonderful, wonderful. I completely agree that transposition is an essential skill that every organist should strive for, right? Yes, that's and, and in many exams, how many certification exams ask that you transpose something? Everyone, every 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 there every are each sight one. exams, there are transposition exams, improvisation exams, uh, plus the the imposed repertoire. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, even the AGO or uh, Royal Co College That's of Organists is at least at the beginning yes. level, the certificate pl uh, service certificate level, they all That's require um, transposition That's skills. That's correct. And when and an organist auditions for a position, they all they almost always want you to play him and to transpose it. Yeah, that's the sight read it uh, in the tonal in the key in the given key and then the transpose in the key. They tell you. 
Well, you mentioned that it's best uh, done in at the early age, right? Uh, uh, it's much easier because your your brain is much younger. But what but you, you can start it at any age, but it's more difficult afterwards. Uh -huh. But you can, right? If you are, for example, a senior organ uh, organ organ yes. player or organ enthusiast, I would say, uh, yes. or, uh, you would probably can try it and learn and Certainly, improve, right? I started transposition very late because no one told me about it before. Mm -hmm. I started that and I regret not to have started earlier. But it, if I had to do it over again, I would have started transposition as soon as I, I was fluent on the keyboard because it's, it, it helps you in so many ways. Yeah. Even if you want to direct, a, if you want to be an orchestral conductor, you know the transposition's cold. When you have to tell what the, the English horn is playing, or you can read that cold. Having, without having to calculate all the transpositions. Well, there are several uh, types of transposition, right? One, one, yes. one, one being uh, transposing by intervals. Yes. Another is transposing by changing the clef. Uh, That's correct. Clefs. That's correct. And the third is the by changing key signatures. Uh, what? Yes. Which one do you prefer? I I prefer the interval, even though it's harder. Uh, but uh, the key, the transposing by clef poses a lot, uh, creates a lot of problems when you have all of the ac the accidentals when you change. Uh, intervals, it's possible, but it takes longer unless you start at a young age. But uh, the idea is to be able to read the, the score in the tonality, like for example, in D major, and uh, you, you don't have to worry about his signatures. You, you calculate the intervals horizontally and ver vertically. Mm -hmm. It's a question of developing your ear and your touch uh, without looking at the keyboard and calculating the intervals. Here, horizontally, that's a, a major second. Here, that's a leap of a perfect fifth, you see. And uh, it's easy to do when you know the piece already, but if you don't know the piece, it does take longer. Clefs have an advantage that you, uh, that you read the organ, that you read the score in the, given, in the key that you choose to transpose. But uh, the pop is with all of the, the accidentals that, uh, that, uh, that come into place afterwards. Mm -hmm. I would have a tendency to, to prefer the intervallic method. But I think you, you have to use both because both methods have their advantages, advantages and their disadvantages. Mm -hmm. And if you uh, get familiar with these different types of clefs, uh, C clefs, yes. F clefs, right? And yes. even G clefs, uh, That's correct. Couple of Especially them. in the early music, you have all of these clefs. You have the uh, G clef, which is a first line G clef. Yeah. You know, it's just, uh, and uh, so the, the curl is on the first line, so that's a G. Right. So the G that corresponds to the G on the second line in the, in the G clef, uh, which is the, uh, the standard uh, second line G clef. Yeah, it, it, it was especially right. popular in in French uh, French uh, string That's music, correct. right? Uh, Rameau That's and Lully, and um, uh, the first line was written not f for the treble clef, but for the uh, the so-called descant tre uh, clef yes, on the on G on the first and the, line. And the trick is with the G, uh, the first uh, the G, uh, the first line G clef. You can read, you can pretend it where it was. Um, an F clef, a fourth line F clef. Yeah. But the thing is, it's an octave higher. That's it's uh, no uh, two octaves higher, but it's a G. Yeah. But afterwards, you get your eye gets used to it, and you and you use the intervallic method. You calculate everything in terms of the of the of the uh, of the curl. The same thing with the the C clefs. You have the the C, which indicates the middle C, no matter what line it, it is on. 
and you calculate everything in terms of that C. Okay, and you read it uh, internally and there's no problem. Wonderful. Uh, I think this method uh, is very valuable if you are doing some fugal improvisations uh, or yes. any sort of improvisation where you have to transpose a theme. That's correct. Uh, and uh, the theme being may maybe a short melody, right? Yes, and and you correct. instead of uh, thinking of various keys, you, you simply uh, basically try to read the same melody in various clefs. And yes. that's, that's it. The same that's counterpoint as well. That's correct, yes. Mm -hmm. But it's 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 advanced technique. I, w I wouldn't think that beginners would um, find it easy to play in, in all those ten different clefs right away. <laughs> right. No, no, you'd have to start out uh, little by little. Start yeah. out with yeah. a, uh, a first line C clef on three, then the second line, the third line, fourth line, then the uh, then the F clef uh, on the third line, or of course uh, the standard. F fourth line F clef and the standard uh, uh, G G clef on second line. I found that um, it takes about one month or so of focused uh, clef practice to 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 master one clef. So if you have ten months ahead of you, so you can master all of them. I, I yes, think. I think so. I think so. But use both hands in doing it. This way, the left hand and the right hand are both used to doing it. Yeah, no and matter then what key you use. And then additional uh, challenges, of course, to play in different clefs at the same yes. time, right? The right hand, yes. one clef, left hand, another clef. And pedal line, of course, maybe has another clef, F clef. That's correct. One method I used was to help learn the clefs was to take an, a sight singing book and you transpose it in all the different clefs. Mm -hmm. True. Or in all the different keys. And that's an, it's an excellent because you practice your, your interval, intervallic leaps. Here, that's a, a perfect fourth, a leap of a perfect fourth. Here, it's a major third, or it's a third, and you feel that in your fingers, all of that, and that also helps you with sight reading. And then because you feel that in under your, you feel the keys under your fingers. See, and then and using your ear and your fingers. Exactly, and then there comes a time when you will be ready to play um, a piece where clefs change. In, in the correct. middle of the right, uh, instead of That's the correct. soprano clef, you you may be playing uh, the alto clef, right, for the left That's hand, correct. or or That's tenor correct. and the bass line, uh, like yes. uh, in the left hands, like many many Bach pieces do. That's correct. Right. Bach right. wrote in in uh, his chorales, uh, the chorale preludes. Uh, he he used different clefs. What's uh, the Schubert chorale? The Schubert chorales uh, subsequently no, written in the C clefs. Yeah. So uh, it's good to know that. Of course, the modern editions transpose all that into uh, standard G clef, uh, second line G clef, and uh, F fourth line F clef. Mm -hmm. But if you read read the manuscripts, they are all in uh, in the C clefs in certain parts. Even Brahms, even Brahms used the alto clef. Exactly. Yeah. Organ, in his in his chorales, organ That's chorales. Correct. Because it, was, it, it it avoided writing ledger lines. Exactly. Um, so, do you think that these modern editions of organ works and harpsichord works uh, with only two clefs, uh, uh, the treble clef and the bass clef, yes. um, provided, are sort of um, um, uh, like uh, they uh, rob us of something very vital? In some way, yes, but mm -hmm. the idea was to make it practical for everybody. Mm -hmm. Because uh, all depends on what country you live in. In the United States, we use very, very few uh, C clefs, except in early music. 
uh, most people learn uh, just using the standard uh, G clef, treble clef, and the standard bass clef. And it's only later where they learn how to use the third line uh, alto uh, C clef and the fourth line tenor clef uh, to be able to transpose a little bit, read for the tram tram trombones and the and the cellos and the and the violas. But uh, I learned the, the, the all the C clefs too much too late, mm -hmm. and uh, I think it's a, it's it's the the earlier you start, the better it is. And uh, of course, I am for making music available to to, to everybody. And so I don't want to, to handicap everybody saying, oh, no, you have to learn how to read the C clefs. Well, this can come afterwards, especially if you read the manuscripts, because the manuscripts are all written in the old clefs, and you have to know how to recognize them and to, and to get your eye used to reading facsimiles. Because especially in the harpsichord, uh, most early musicians prefer to use the facsimile editions now. Exactly, see? exactly. Uh, but, but my students uh, were so poor, they didn't even know how to read a single note they don't know the difference between a quarter note and an eighth note. Well, I wrote everything in modern notation because mm -hmm. uh, why bother them with facsimile editions? At a later level, if they're more advanced, of course, you should learn how to read the facsimile editions. Uh, some people prefer it because it's much more warmer. There's, there's something that you feel in there that you don't get into the modern editions. It's something like reading a translation of something in another language. Uh, it's best to read it in the original language if you can, because there's something that you you feel it that there's always something lost in the translation. See? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, this uh, handwriting, orthograph, uh, it reveals yes. something. There's of a the... beauty. That's right. There is a beauty in that. It, it reveals something about the composer's character as well, right? That's correct. As all handwriting does, it's a projection of you. Yeah. As well as your playing is a projection of you. You see. Yeah. So, uh, someone said your instrument is a projection of you and your playing is a projection of you because you're transferring your personality into what you're playing. Absolutely. And you mentioned your students being uh, not not being able to 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 read those difficult clefs at the beginning, right? So you No, you because they're adapt. not advanced. They, they came to the harpsichord, they don't even know what it is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So this we have this kind of this is our job to 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 make the harpsichord known. You don't and want them to, to be scared, right? You, you make it that's easier correct. You and accessible. make it easy, to, as, though, as, as the modern piano is, mm -hmm. see, to make it accessible, instead of being considered an instrument for the wealthy. So, uh, how do you start uh, uh, teaching uh, uh, people uh, harpsichord playing? What, what, kind of, uh, what comes first? What kind of exercises in your well, method? Well, first of all, they, have, they, they don't know, and I start, I part from this time, I... I assume they don't know anything about music. Mm -hmm. So we start from scratch. We start from the, the middle of the keyboard, as with certain, with certain modern piano methods do, and we use the same fingers in each hand, the thumb and the index, the right hand, thumb and index of the left hand, because it's the same figures, one and two, one and two. And we use until all five fingers are learned in contrary motion. Once the five fingers are learned in each hand in contrary motion, we we add the the remaining notes of the C major scale in both hands in in, in uh, contrary motion. Then we go into parallel motion to learn both hands play the same note at an octave. But all this is done by way of coordinating the hands, dialogue between dialogues between the right hand and the left hand, all linear because that that is very well adapted the harpsichord because the easiest harpsichord material doesn't doesn't begin that way because uh, very few people played the harpsichord com in comparison today. They were only the wealthy 
So they were was probably jammed down their throat. All of the music theory was jammed down their throats before they they, they touched the keyboard. Yeah. You see, if you look at the old methods, so well, I use an, a modern approach to 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 teach the uh, the beginning of the keyboard, the, the the first contact of the keyboard. But as soon as we learn all of the notes of the C major scale, I introduce the early fingerings right away, based uh -huh. on Henry Purcell. See one two in in contrary motion. Ascending for the right hand, that would be one, two, three, four, three, four, three, four. And the left hand descending is the same. One, two, three, four, three, four, three, four. You play you start both place both thumbs on middle C and you go in contrary motion. It's the same hand, the same fingers. So it's easy for the brain. Because contrary contrary motion is much easier for the brain uh, in comparison to parallel motion. Once this is acquired, we go into uh, parallel motion where both hands play C D E F G. And we use um uh, all the coordination exercises possible that I've leaned here and there and I've adapted uh, mm -hmm. in the C position in the in the C position C D E F G both hands playing all the different combinations where both hands play the same notes both hands use the same fingers. See? Yeah, wonderful. And you probably also teach uh, diminutions, right? Can you tell us a little yes, bit? Yes, that's correct. What the diminutions, diminutions are? Uh, diminutions is a uh, yeah, uh, the diminutions are the ancestor. Of, of the ornaments that existed at the time of Bach and Handel and all of that. Uh, many composers in the Renaissance and the early Baroque didn't indicate ornaments, or they might indicate it to T or TR. That could have meant many things, or they don't indicate anything at all, as with the Spanish Renaissance composers. But they left formulas. For example, to go up a second, or to go in a second, what? Here's some formulas you can use. I teach two formulas per interval because that takes a lot of things to memorize. The Ortiz, or, uh, yeah. as if you pronounce it in the Spanish, but it's Ortiz, uh, Diego Ortiz. Uh, he wrote at least over 90 formulas, I think. Mm -hmm. And but that's it, it takes a lot of practice to assimilate that. I use two formulas for each interval. For for example, for the as, interval ascending, interval descending. And uh, we use uh, simple melodies to incorporate these diminutions to be used in the pieces, later pieces, by the English virginists, by, by John Bull and Dooland, and by, even by uh, Cabezon, uh, all these composers that used them before Bach. Yeah. Spedink, uh, all these composers, Scheidt, uh, Scheidemann, all these composers. Titlouz, Titlouz, probably. Necessary. Pardon me? Titlouz also, right? The English, of course. Uh, French yes. early... Master. Yes, of course, because that mm -hmm. was before. That was Louis the Thirteenth, and even before. Mm -hmm. So wonderful! You, if you master those two figures per interval, yes. you can you can uh, elaborate uh, the written score enormously. The trick is to start. Uh, if you the, the note you want to you want to diminish diminish, which, yeah, for example, if it's an E, start with the E and end with the E. Right. Uh, the note E. I'm saying that's a that's the trick. If you're going from D E F, and and the note you want to diminish is the E, or you play the D, answer it E, D E, and then go to the F. That's uh, the very simplest diminution. Yeah, 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 yeah. Passing notes. Going down. If you want to say, for example, F E D descending, uh, we diminish the E, but you play F, E F E D. It's the contrary of of the uh, of the ascending. Manner. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Wonderful. And uh, these, this practice of diminutions then later can be incorporated in your own improvisation as well, right? Of course, and this rejoins, this, this resembles the, uh, the ornamentation used when you use the ornamentation used by the composers, because the composers, of course, indicated certain ornaments, but they expected you to add your own. To yeah. add, if, if there was a trill or a mordant, uh, if there's something there, that was a sign you should add something, exactly. especially at the, at, the, at the reprise, where you should have added, they had formula, uh, changing tones, that you can add changing tones, you add passing tones. Uh, all of the, or the written ornaments you see in the later ornamentation, the late Baroque, middle late Baroque, can be improvised. Yeah. Whether they're figured arpeggios, whether they're passing tones, whether they're appoggiatures, all of this can be added as long as it doesn't spoil the piece. It's, it's a matter of taste. Of course. And uh, did you notice that uh, in schools, in music schools, where uh, students uh, learn to play piano, for example, yes. they play some music of uh, Baroque composers, but often without repeats, right? To make it shorter and uh, because they don't know what yes. to do with the repeat. That's correct, or they think it's too long, but the repeat should be respected in most cases. Exactly. Certainly, yes. But if you know how to do diminutions, you could add in, at the reprise in the repeat. Of course, of course. And that will be, be most beautiful. It's, it's the same principles. That what can be applied to the what is applied to the diminutions can be applied to the later ornamentation, of course. Mm -hmm. As as long as it har everything harmonizes correctly. You know? Yeah. Even with Mozart, Mozart and all that, they all improvised. Yeah. Every, everybody improvised. Even Beethoven improvised. Yeah, and especially at the cadences of, of their concertos. Of course, they were expected to improvise. And of course, the problem is always the abuse of such things. Uh, the, the soloists, the instrumentalists, even the vo everybody improvised, whether it were singers or were instrumentalists or keyboardists. Everybody improvised. But the problem is, is when you came to cadences, uh, as, uh, 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 certain musicians exaggerated. They didn't know how to finish. Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, you have to have a good taste for that, right? And not to That's exaggerate. And, 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 and what, always by looking, what did the composers do when they wrote their things? What did they do? And you copy, you use that, and you copy as long as, as, long as it harmonize, harmonizes with the passage you're playing, as it is in the same style as the mm -hmm. piece you're playing, fine, no problem. Yes, wonderful. Uh, we're talking about those times uh, which happened about uh, two, three, or even more hundred years ago, right? Yeah, yes. In 21st century, uh, can this language of, of basically of 300 years ago, Baroque language, can it still be alive in in Oh, yes. In, in oh, yes. Look at, what hap look at what happened in the, in the six, 1960s uh, with the Bach to Bach movement. With the MOOC synthesizer, there was the f famous record uh, switched on Bach, mm -hmm. where uh, you've probably heard of this, where, where they used a synthesizer to use to play works of, by Bach, that Bach that people didn't know anymore. Uh, that created the, uh, the vogue of the, the back to the early music movement with, of course, with the, uh, the rock culture and all the, the back to the go, go back to the sources, go back to the way things were to learn to the essential of things. And that's where the tracker or the mechanical organs started becoming in, in vogue again, mm -hmm. because the young people wanted to to to, to take the essential of things. Flintrop, the, the famous organ builder, said that. He says it's not a question of building of early music. It's that the young people asked for the essentials, and so that's why he started building uh, uh, instruments in the early style, in historically correct style. You mm -hmm. see. 
And so today, early music is adapted because it uses a lot of improvisation. And all of your traditional musics, everything is improvisation. You take a look at, at, at the uh, Oriental music, the Asiatic music, mm-hmm. uh, all of these music, African music, it is all improvised as much as the medieval music was in the, in the, in the Occident, in the West. See, and this is good because people, it, it permits you to be, become creative instead of re- just doing what, playing what is on the printed page. See? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, piece, early instruments like the, the recorder, the harpsichord, the organ, uh, that speaks to early peoples. I see. Mm-hmm. Uh, people identifies them, identified themselves with that. Yeah. Especially the- people from traditional cultures. We all want to create, right, as human beings, right. uh, and yes. uh, and uh, this uh, skill in recreating those techniques that were taught hundreds of years ago enables us to learn a new language, right? That's and correct. speak fluently or more fluently or less fluently uh, and communicate, especially tell musical stories, perhaps, uh, yes. using these musical means, right? Yes, yes. And I agree. It's very, very uh, satisfying to be able to transmit um, musical ideas uh, th- to the listeners as well. So that's, that's I think uh, people uh, should not be afraid of improvisation, but uh, I no. think they should you start with it. easy things. You start with easy things. The the, the hints that you give in, in your in your advice on the internet. Well, that's very that's very useful. You start with simple things. So thank you so much, uh, Frank. Uh, f- uh, in in your in your method, I think it's a now eight volume finished, right? That's correct. There are eight volumes. H- how many? I'm working on the ninth one. Should be coming out, oh, maybe in a month or two. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm working on the tenth volume now, which will be the last one. The last one. So that's the tenth year of study. So and each volume study. represents one complete year of study, right? That's correct. You have uh, learned. You study the repertoire. You have the technique. You have a sight reading, uh, f- uh, basso continuo. Uh, you learn how to improvise either by the diminutions or by the, uh, the later ornamentation method, the Bach according to the uh-huh. Bach and Bach handle Rameau and all of these people. Uh, it's, it's, it's a similar method, but uh, all of this is treated at the same time. Plus style performance practice advice also. Uh-huh. Wonderful. So y- in your volumes, you, you're not only providing dry exercises, but also ex- excerpts from real music and also some performance practice uh, advice, right? And tips uh, how to play ornaments, fingering, right? Articulation. It is difficult. It's, it's, it's sometimes hard to find. You have to look through 10 different books to find all of that stuff. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And it all depends what country you live in. In some countries... Scores are very difficult to obtain. Yeah. And they're very costly, they're expensive. So this is a way of making it more available. Exactly, exactly. And and your your teaching, your experience can be spread very wide now, all over the world, right? But I hope so. And I, this is that was my goal. Yeah. That was my goal to make it available to put everybody. Exactly. So that everyone can learn. Not saying, oh no, not big. I don't like an, an elitist approach. It's to make the music available to everyone, just as books are available to everyone. Mm-hmm. And uh, Frank, uh, with your method of clavecin, of, of harpsichord playing, uh, I know they approach f- uh, from the beginning, right? Level, learning the, the notes. And uh, after the 10th year, what do you expect people will be able to do with harpsichord? 
Well, after they should they be proficient once they've finished the 10th year. Uh, 10 years with an instrument, you've covered practically everything. Mm -hmm. Everything, uh, all of, then you just keep growing and growing and growing. It never ends. It's, a, it's, a, it's once you learn an instrument, mm -hmm. you, it never ends. Even the greatest concert artists continue learning in some way or another. Because there's always something, it's like opening a door. Once you open a door, it opens another door. It's like, <laughs> it's a never ending process up to infinity, if you wish. There's always something to learn somewhere, you see. And, and uh, once the tenth volume we finished, I'll be including certain free pieces which are already uh, correspond to the tenth level, pieces which will be which be which correspond to a, a level of an international harpsichord competition uh -huh. uh, to to prepare uh, students for that level, and it's to help the teachers to have a repertoire available. It, it helps teachers when teachers ask, "What should I give for?" Uh, a student who has studied for three years, uh, and you keep looking an exam list. You, uh, does this correspond? Well, I've 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 calculated that based on numerous exam lists and what is done in different countries. Mm -hmm. See, and uh, what it harps what uh, musicians should know after three years of study or four years of study, and all of these things correspond. It's to help the teacher to organize, because especially for harpsichord, very little material is, is available to start. There are methods existing, but they all have, they're, they're, all, they're all missing something. See? Mm -hmm. uh, most methods start, the, fir the, two, the first two pages or three pages are easy, but afterwards they get hard the, because the student doesn't have enough technique, doesn't have enough hand coordination to handle that. The first two pages, okay, that's all right. But uh, so many of them have this gap uh, the the court hand coordination isn't isn't it isn't discussed thoroughly you have to discuss localizing the notes on the keyboard a c i asked a student what's this note what's a c but where do you find it or if he finds the c an octave too high that's not the c the composer wrote it as a middle c though it's in the middle of the keyboard see it's uh, that's why there are localizing exercises mm -hmm. which prepare for sight reading afterwards exactly Exactly. So, thank you so much, Frank, for You're your welcome. Ge You're welcome generous insights and teaching today. And uh, could you please tell our listeners how they can find you and your work online? Uh, but you look on, you just uh, make a Google, you just look on Google, you, you separate uh, in, small, in small letters, M-E-T-H-O-D-E -E dash Clavesan, C-L-A-V-E-C-E-N, dot F-R. And you come, uh, you automatically come under the website. You'll see there are two flags. There is an English flag and a French flag. So you click on whatever language is best for you. Because there, the, the, there are, there's the English version and French version. I'm making sure that uh, I will include this link uh, in the description of this conversation, Frank. Wish you can, met it, you can put before HTTP, uh, Sabi uh, colon on three two slashes. Yeah. And then, uh, then with the, with what I just said, and you should be able to fall onto it. Even if you say, if you just give the link I gave at the first uh, m e t h o d dash c l a v e c a i n dot f r, you will automatically come onto the uh, or it's marked uh, on Google said the complete harpsichord method. Wonderful, okay. wonderful. So I uh, am I correct uh, um, imagining that. Uh, uh, organists who will yes. try to uh, incorporate your uh, harpsichord method in their organ practice will become yes. more complete organist as well? 
Of course, of course. And if you, if you look at the situation, look at the fingerings of, of the early musicians. Mm -hmm. uh, it's both, it's, it, it, uh, keyboard fingerings were interchangeable yeah. Yeah, a long time ago. And if you compare with the 19th century, uh, the 19th century organ, for example, the idea of the 19th century organ was to, to, it was to be like the piano. That was the model for the 19th century. You had the Barker lever for the 19th century instruments, to, so it could be easier to play, could be uh, a more smooth-like playing, the, the Barker instrument, to, to imitate the piano touch, the 19th, uh, the piano touch of that period, mm -hmm. you see? So everything is parallel, if you wish. The, uh, the fingerings follow the period, you see? The, the later fingerings permitted a more legato playing. Right, exactly. Whereas the early fingerings produce a natural articulation grouped by pairs. Yeah. Uh, again, thank you so much, uh, Frank. Uh, I'm I'm very excited to be able to share your work uh, in in our podcast, and I'll, I'll uh, make sure you, I'll direct our listeners to your website method dash Thank you very much for asking me to do this. It was a pleasure talking with you this morning. Okay, see you later, and I hope you will continue your wonderful and generous work online in completing those ten, ten volumes and beyond. I certainly will, and uh, good luck to you also with your excellent work on the organ. Excellent, thank you so much. You're welcome, have a good day. Bye-bye. If you liked this conversation, I encourage you to visit my blog Secrets of Organ Playing at organduo.lt where you will find lots of insights, practical advice and training for every area of organ playing. You can subscribe to this blog for free to get your daily dose of inspiration and to be the first to know when any of my future podcasts roll out. I hope to help you reach your dreams in organ playing. I'm Vidas Pinkavitus, thanks for listening and I'll catch you online really soon.